welcome to the Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. Covering all things science relating to nutrition, training, recovery, and more. Who knows, we might even sprinkle in a dick joke or two. Listeners, we have a very special treat for you today. Uh, We have not announced the new Flex Success Coach until this moment, until today. We haven't even announced that we were getting one. No, it's true. We haven't. We didn't even put out applications. We just thought George was so amazing. So I guess we've kind of ruined the punchline. New Flex Success Coach George. What did I call you, Jaws? Well, it's actually Jorge, right? (laughs) Welcome to the podcast, George. Thank you for having me on, guys. And uh, I guess I've said it quite a few times now, but thank you very much for the opportunity to become a part of Flex Success. It really is an honour. No worries, my bearded friend. I feel a bit less <laughs> about a beard. And there was Will Crozier on the last episode with a beard. Well, let's not let's not tell everyone that Will Crozier has a beard. <laughs> a pathetic beard. Will Crozier has some underchin fluff, and I can say that now as a man who's, <laughs> who's managed to grow a beard who previously used to be Look, in this position. But this isn't about beards or Will. This is about you, George. Um, we it, actually, it actually might be about bits. Well, I hope this isn't about bits. George, I would love for you to tell the audience a little bit about you. So? So. Dean, no, this isn't no. about you. This is about George. No, what? it's who are you, what do you do, and why do you do it? Who are you? What I was you? waiting for the punchline. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, so uh, I am George. I'm a physique development coach from the UK. I have been coaching for two and a half years now uh, it's been um my main source of income my my sole profession for the last year when i went full-time um a bit of a bit about why i started i guess you go over a little sop story from when i was younger uh, the typical journey into bodybuilding that normal sop story of feel sorry for me grew up as a kid i was quite overweight um borderline obesity i had a, i had epilepsy as a kid so i was on steroid medication and i got a lot i got very big very very quick at a young age and um typical secondary school years obviously experienced a little bit of bullying and stuff which led me to kind of go on my own journey of trying to get in shape lose body fat um and not get picked on for looking like a cream cake <laughs> but yeah eventually i found myself not just in in a position where i was quote unquote skinny i kind of went the other way but i had people coming to me even from like the age of 16 asking me hey how have you uh you know how have you got lost so much weight how have you got a six pack and um quite quickly and quite early on i found i had a passion for helping others kind of navigate the the shit that i'd had to deal with um and that's kind of where it started from for me in in not necessarily coaching back then but just helping others to achieve something that i had kind of embarked on on my own and i realized quite quickly how much of a minefield trying to lose weight actually is like the basics are the basics but it can be very very overcomplicated at the best of times um which kind of led me into you know i've been training since i was 15 at my school gym and bodybuilding was never like a, a thing for me as a, as a growing up. I didn't look at pictures of Arnold and think, oh, yeah, I want to be like that one day. It, I just kind of fell into it. Um, and it, it's that typical question when I speak to other coaches and say, oh, what do you do? Uh, and then you often give me the answer that they're a bodybuilder and an online coach. And when that same question is given to me, it, it's always the flip. Like I am a coach first. That Even when I was younger, my passion was I want to help you guys achieve something. I'd you know, be happy. That was the, the main aspect of what drove me into I guess where I've, I've fallen to now. So 
For those that don't know anything about your coaching or your goals for the future, who have you worked with and, and where do you want to go? Uh, so I got my first coach when I was 19. Um, I didn't really have any aspirations of, again, going too far into bodybuilding. I just wanted to see, hey, look, let's, you know, I did all this on my own. What can I do with the guidance of someone who knows more than me? Uh, which ultimately didn't lead to me achieving what I thought it would. It led to quite a lot of health implications. I've always been quite experimental growing up. I've never been afraid to try different things. Um, and I, I quite quickly went down the performance enhancement route. Um, quite young for most people. I mean, well, I say young, young around the world. In the UK, it's not so bad. If you look at our average, 19 is usually uh, when most gym guys get into it, um, which led to a new number of health implications that I then tried to correct myself. This was kind of like where I found my, my niche in physique development. And I quickly realized that I actually had a really good love and, and ability to understand quite complicated um, pharmacokinetics and pharmacology of certain substances and compounds that we use. And I found that my interest really solely lied in, okay, well, this is what the normal natural human body can do. What can happen if we leverage these variables here and kind of become that quote unquote superhuman, you know, what can we achieve? Uh, I then started to outreach for better professional advice. Uh, I come across the likes of um, uh, nutrition and, and training wise, Dr. Eric Helms. I then quickly found on the PED side of things, Victor Black, which then led me to my current coach and mentor, Joe Jeffrey. And I, I could probably put a lot of my development and knowledge as a coach down to this last sort of year and a half, not just being coached by Joe, but also having him there as a one-to-one -one mentor to not necessarily give me the answers, but guide me in the right direction and say, right, here's the tools, here's the, the books, here's the literature, here's the studies. This is what you need to dive into. This is going to channel you in the direction of coaching physique athletes and competitors. Mm. I love that's where the industry is going because Dean and I have been in the industry some time now. Like I was a PT for 10 years before I became a coach and I've been a coach for some years now too. And it was very like old school trial and error. It's because that's what my training partner did. And I love that it's going down the like actually read, like learn anatomy, like learn some biology. <laughs> like let's figure this stuff out. How can we do this better? So um, that's awesome. Yeah, I um, I mean, I almost went the opposite to you in that I wasn't looking for a coach because everywhere I looked in my early sort of years of development, all I saw were problems. When I compared them to just baseline biology and physiology learned at university, it was like, you don't even know this bit. How the fuck could you know the next step, you know? Because they're sure as shit not teaching anyone how to be a contest prep coach at university, obviously. <laughs> um, so, like, I was almost, like, avoiding it and just seeking knowledge, like you said, it came across very similar people to you, have ended up in a very similar position, and that obviously I, I sought after Joe for my coach as well, which is um, mm. really cool. It so, is, it's, it's a refreshing time of, uh, I was going to say, yeah, but uh, time in this industry with individuals seeking knowledge from other people now. Yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of people. There is a lot of people in the industry that, that moan about the direction I think bodybuilding and, and coaching in general is heading in, but I can't I can't see a negative to the the whole evidence based approach. I'm not I'm not a complete 100 percent believer that this is the be all and end all, and that the old school bro science kind of you know what we've experienced doesn't have some application. I think there's a there's a line in the middle somewhere where the two cross over, but it, there's a lot of backlash from the direction it's heading in, and I just I struggle to see how 
you know, the younger people coming up, maybe putting a little bit too much emphasis in knowing why and not just doing. I can't see how that's a bad thing. Well, I mean, maybe it's a difference in understanding of what evidence-based really means. Mm. Like, to me, it means what the book says, but it also means, like, anecdotal evidence, and it also means what that person can stick to, even if that, like, a little bit conflicts with the optimal... So long as there's, a like, a do-no-harm or do-the-least-as-harm undertone to it. Yeah. To, to talk about Eric Helms again, I loved his approach, which is evidence-informed. Right. Mm. You know, as opposed to evidence-based. We're not saying... The paper says X, therefore you cannot do Y. But rather, the paper says X, you know, the empirical says Y. Maybe we can kind of mould these two together and make an informed choice. Understand the pros and cons, all that kind of just. Yeah, yeah. So because you uh, really like the pharmacology side of things, that is your passion for coaching, right, from my understanding? Yes, yeah, to, to a degree. It makes me sound like I'm just a typical drug guy, but... Um, yeah, it's, it's where the interest lies, I suppose, yeah. Yeah. Do you think that's because that's for sure a space that you think you can, again, delve into helping people or at least helping prevent people go down the wrong route? Because it's so common, right? That, that, that latter bit would be my answer there. So I went down the wrong route and quickly then realised I was making mistakes based off of prior guidance from someone who I looked up to and then had to correct them myself failed with a couple and then had to seek advice from someone who did know uh, I would like to negate that whole process for as many people as possible and be the guy that I went to uh, for adv advice and help on how to correct the problems or at least just not let people get to that point of having the problem in the first place if the, if the correct advice and knowledge is there in the first place then we won't have where I was five years ago yeah 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 for people that uh, aren't in the bodybuilding space and feel like oh steroids it's you know such a terrible thing to do sure and we definitely are not encouraging them and we're definitely not saying that um every bodybuilder should take them but within powerlifting strongman and bodybuilding there are particular spaces where it is an even playing field because they're untested federation so by no stretch of the imagination are we encouraging cheating like you know taking gear for natural competitions we have actually refused to take on clients who compete in natural federations but we know use gear so yeah just so we're really clear on our stance there yes yeah because people are going to take drugs anyways um and we go for the safe use model hmm. there's much better ones to take as well than steroids hey <laughs> There's better ones to there's take. Much, there's better ones to take than steroids if, if that's what the listeners are considering. Right. <laughs> Avoid. It's true. I always find it hilarious um, when people mention roid rage, mm. as if people take steroids and rah, all of a sudden become like really angry. <laughs> I mean, look at me. I'm so angry. He's such an angry guy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I find it. It's a. It's a. In height. It's a heightened emotional response is whatever personality traits you have i fully just accentuate it tenfold i'm incredibly laid back that my mum and my missus refer to me as being practically horizontal <laughs> and ever since i made that jump i kind of just went even more so that way um yeah it's it's not it's a big misdemeanor i guess with um anyone who uses enhancements or steroids it dials up the capacity to grow it dials up personality traits. Yeah, but is it like chicken or egg, though? Because I wonder if people who, like, feel like they want to be big and tower over people, they're attracted to steroids and then, like, they already have that personality to begin with. There's also, you know, nocebo potentially. 
Yeah, that's you know, true. Um, it's vet- we obviously can't remove the, the, the knowing that the person is taking the drug and if they have this prior expectation that's going to make them feel like X, then yeah. they may go seeking that. And there's certain drugs that will even do that from a side effect profile. Like there's a whole thing. Like, you know, testosterone makes you more risk adverse too. Like that's sort of known. So like, if you heighten that, you may make some slightly brasher decisions. Um, there's a few things to it, but yeah, you, know, it's, you don't really know. Mm. But on the whole, it's, it's classified to be a non-existent side effect to steroids. Right. In that you take exit causes rage. Yeah. 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 No. Um, now your experience with coaching clients in the past is with males and females, right? Yes. Unintentionally, I when I first kind of started looking into the female literature when I was working quite quickly when I was at 19, 20, uh, I quickly realized how deep of a rabbit hole the female physiology is. Um, And it wasn't until I was not necessarily forced, but I had to make a choice on coaching my partner out of uh, post-show menorrhea that I then, it was, you know, who do I trust to take over from this? You know, yeah, Joe, but, um, you know, I've already got him here in the background. This is a perfect opportunity for me to, to really sink my teeth into it. An area that I was quite not avoidant of, but a little bit apprehensive to dive into because of how complicated it can be. Um, so, yeah, I was kind of, yes, yeah, I was, I was forced to. And again, uh, I stress this for people listening. It's not just something you can do. It, you know, there's a lot of potential things that can go wrong with female physiology uh, from a hormonal perspective, if you just diet them without understanding truly what is going on underneath the hood. Um, so yeah, I was, I was pushed into it, not forcefully, but I guess by choice to correct her hormonal issues. And it, it just stemmed from there that I suddenly realized I had people come to my, from my local gym, females coming to me saying, Hey, look, I've got this X, Y symptom. I've had this blood work done. And, you know, can I have some advice? Uh, and over time it's just developed further into i guess i coach more females than i do males currently um so without it unintentionally it's landed there now mm. Mm. but you still enjoy coaching males as well it's just 100 i have no preference there i, do, I just in, i enjoy working with everyone but um i just stressed don't don't take on something unless you truly understand what what is going on mm. what's well, pulling that thread a little bit man you mentioned that there's some considerations that people need to be aware of when, when coaching females, whether it be hormonally or other things, what are some of the, the sex differences you've experienced either in the literature or in uh, application in regards to coaching women versus men or female coaching or fat loss or coaching for fat loss, coaching for fat loss or coming out of competition or coaching into a contest prep, I guess, or a fat loss. Yeah. Fat loss. Let's go fat loss. Okay. So the, the big elephant in the room is obviously uh, the uh, menstrual cycle. One thing that we as men do not have to deal with, thank the Lord, because we'd cry at the first instant. It's not fun. <laughs> no, riding the dragon, as uh, my missus calls it. <laughs> now, that is, it houses its own problems when we look at uh, females as a generalization. There is varying differences between one female cycle and another's female's quote-unquote normal menstrual cycle but then if we look at the same female from month to month there can be variations in their menstrual cycle length intensity duration etc and the fluctuations of the hormones are all again person dependent everyone has their own genetic individual response to that and if you say for fat loss if you push too far into an energy deficit there is always the potential, as you're probably aware of, dealing with uh, female contest clients, that you will reach that amenorrhea state where the uh, loss of female cycle occurs and the body would prioritize 
survival mechanisms over reproductive mechanisms uh, and portion off and shut down the HPT axis. Now, this comes with a numerous amount of de detrimental effects on cardiovascular health, uh, your brain health, or the potential risk of osteoporosis, osteoarthritis later on in life. If this little window of time is, is left unchecked for too long. Um, so some main, main differences, I guess, would be in typically uh, when we look at males and females, um, one thing to consider is that you are dealing on average with a lot smaller individual. Uh, this may not be particularly a gender bias, but, um, coaching females usually means you're dealing with a lot smaller human being, a lot less lean body mass. Um, and therefore say a male may be starting their fat loss phase at 3000 calories just a rough idea and maybe a female that's 60 kilos maybe starting her prep at say 1800 the runway you have to land them in that deficit and to get them to the goal is a lot less you could take away a thousand calories from uh, the man at 3000 it not be too much of a problem you take that away from the female and you're going to hit a wall very very quickly so you have to be cautious in your timeline um, you have to be cautious in your approach to maybe implementing diet breaks or, or refeeds a lot more frequently with a female compared to a male. Mm -hmm. um, uh, something to consider physically between females and males is body fat patterning. Typically, males hold more fat on their upper body, particularly like visceral areas, uh, so around the organs and stuff. Females tend to hold it more lower body. This is predominantly because of um, the anticipation of pregnancy from puberty to menopause. Um, but that, that fat is usually held within the subcutaneous layer. So typically females on average compared to men have more total body fat. So you may be looking at a longer duration of prep or, or just a longer duration of fat loss when you compare between the two. Something to, you know, to take into consideration. Uh, the, the response to a calorie deficit as well is something to, to consider. Um, a females, so the hunger hormones, ghrelin and leptin, um, female's response to fat loss is that there is a much greater leptin response which is the hunger hormone that signals to the brain roughly like the calories you're intaking and how much body fat you have when leptin is released from fat cells this is excruciatingly higher in females than it is in males so hunger signaling during that fat loss phase will be a lot a lot more you know a lot lot more uh, and it, anecdotally we'd see uh, on my clients on my behalf the complaints that you'd normally get from gen pop uh, competitors are like you know are they struggling that you think it's just females moaning as some people would say uh, but it's generally down to a a physiological response like they have a lot more hunger signaling being triggered uh, and that isn't necessarily something they can control it's just something that happens and you have to cope and manage that but that also leaves potential for eating disorders to be more prominent in the female population than the male because of their response to this hunger signaling this could if not controlled or, or watched and managed lead into potential binge binge eating disorders that binge restrict cycle so it's important when you're coaching a female to not just be so here's your diet here's your training plan blah 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 let's look at the let's look at the physical data how about we ask how you're feeling let's how you felt after this meal if they have a refeed how was you for the next two days like how did you feel about food and coming at them from a, an emotional perspective as well as a physical i find it's kind of hard to get that out of a man anyway we're usually quite stubborn in that front um avoid of our emotions to a decree uh, but yeah, do we <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Put me in front of a child singing a musical and I'll cry. If so. tired's an emotion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a really be, most, Go on. 
so the, the the biggest thing that i guess separates the two is if you if you like pull out and um come back to like the basics if we wind the clock back to caveman era what is the purpose of uh, this is going to sound so sexist we're in 2022 i really don't want this to come across the wrong way but what is the purpose of a man and what is the purpose of a female and it is to reproduce and the man has one job really and he's pretty much useless outside of that um, and the, the female has to prepare to have a baby so the, predominantly from puberty to menopause their hormones are, are governed by this biological survival mechanism to hold more body fat in preparation for having another child to consume more calories and be a hell of a lot more resistant to those adaptations of fat loss for that reason they, they don't want to lose fat because that goes against their whole entire biological makeup what they're intended for obviously in 2022 that's not the case you can do what you want with your life i don't want to get into that debate um but yes there's a lot to to consider yeah. outside of what men are predictable we are really really predictable <laughs> from one month to the next we are pretty consistent that's my dream that is my dream that's i me. i don't want to have children um and so every time i get my period i feel like it's such a waste of hormonal health i'm like why is this happening to me every month i don't need you <laughs> she's like let's just get a hysterectomy i'm like yeah but then that comes with some additional it's the same issues that you mentioned before right so yeah um <laughs> so what we're going to do is just like chop out the bit when you said like men are good yeah, for one thing and women thing. just have babies and just so you get hate mail sent to your the house 60 second snippet is <laughs> women have one job <laughs> oh, man i a lot of a lot of what i've learned on the female physiology come from lyle mcdonald i don't know if you're in his facebook group um but some of the so how he comes across in videos is so blunt and so straight to the point that you can take it the wrong way if you don't just just take a little step back for a minute uh, yeah. since some comments really you got to read everything from lyle as if he's having a bipolar episode lyle's yes. interesting guy isn't he um but anyways getting back to your point there i i really liked your point about um you know managing women more closely with their relationship with food because we you know the last thing we want is to cause harm and then they develop an eating disorder in the process and one thing worth mentioning is like i'm, I'm not a comp prep coach i coach general population gen pop um but even with my experience coaching men and women i've also come across a, a similar situation um and there's so much more harm in a woman going, fuck it, I'm just going to eat this pizza than there is in a man. Because for Dean to start gaining body fat, you're going to have to eat in excess of what? Anything above 4,000 calories, yeah. you'll start to gain a little bit, right? Anything for me above 2,000 calories, I'll start to gain fat. So if Dean eats a pizza, he might still end the day around his maintenance calories. I eat a pizza, I'm in a surplus. I do that for multiple days, I'm fucked. <laughs> so there's there's really like more harm to be done in a female just having a, a fuck it moment than there is in a man mm. also on a, on a on that response going down through the deficit that the negative adaptations that the body fighting it's, it's the same on the way back out for a female they adapt a lot quicker to that so their ability to gain fat is a lot quicker than a man on average coming back out the other side so like you said on them days where you have the fuck it moments and you do eat way too much the damage done sadly is, is a lot more on the female front than it is on the male front again from a physiology physi physiological standpoint not just uh, your total calories in but the, you know the body is adapting a hell of a lot quicker yeah the greater propensity to store fat per unit of calories 
in the in the surplus, you know. Um, now, all of this sounds kind of scary for the girls, uh, but what I wanted to sort of say is that this is the beauty of having a coach that at least understands these baseline things because, like we used that terminology before, evidence-informed, it means the coach can plan out and periodise and allow for periods to break and allow for periods to not have so stre- much stress and allow yeah, for time. periods. Yes. You know? Um, yeah, it's, it's not that it's scary. It's that it's informed so that you can do this in the healthiest manner possible. And then for someone who's not in a contest prep, the most sustainable manner possible. Mm. Yes. Yeah, 100%. I, the starting point, like on average, for females and males is, is another good one to look at. That Our kind of average range, again, this is a, an average, not person to person, is for men, body fat from like, uh, I think it's 12 to 15%, women 18 to 24. Like for us to exhibit similar, because we do, men will exhibit similar symptoms from like a hunger signaling perspective and that the, the deficit damage will happen to us at some point, but it's not until we get a lot closer to say them single digit numbers of percentage. For females, you see that straight from the off. Once they drop under their, their favoured body fat composition, that's it, boom, you're in at the deep end, you're going to start exhibiting these symptoms. Uh, one anecdotally that I noticed for the variance between female to female here is my my missus on her last prep. She lost her uh, her menstrual cycle two weeks into a deficit. This was back when she was natural. Two weeks, it was all it took before she was meant to have her period and it just didn't come. And then we, tra- you know, I told her to track it and it just never come after that. She went 13 months without a menstrual cycle before she then, I, I then said, no, enough's enough. Let me jump in and try and fix this. Well, yeah, sorry. And how many of those 13 months were both comp? She spent, oh my God, don't. Um, she spent four months post comp, right? And she was, okay, the, this is a, a, a note for females coming out the back of maybe uh, contest prep. Do not let someone tell you to reverse diet to keep you looking good. Mm. That is not a thing. The Can goal is recovery. Diet for people that just aren't familiar, mate. Sorry? Could you define maybe a reverse diet coming out of a contest prep just so people are familiar? Okay, uh, the typical reverse diet is is seen as a method of of keeping you Instagram worthy, as I call it. So once you've you've got in stage condition, as you come out, you start increasing calories very, very, very. I've seen some stupid increments, like five to ten calories and stuff per week from some people. It's a joke, but the idea is that you would increase calories really, really, really slowly, so that when you come out of the prep, you maintain and hold your condition for as long as possible. That's the the concept there. But the the point that they're missing is that maintenance when you come out the back of a calorie deficit is here and you're just staying in a deficit the whole way through until you get to your baseline here where you're going to start to see those positive um, adaptations occur and you'll start to get back to homeostasis. So that the reverse diet is just an elongated way of becoming healthy again. Mm. So instead of getting healthy in a few weeks, you're stretching it out over a few months and you're stretching out the symptoms over a few months instead of yeah. clearing them out in a few weeks yeah, mm. yeah. again the, the the purpose of returning back to maintenance you're gonna recruit some some fluid and some body fat but ultimately maintenance is there to keep you maintained at whatever body fat composition you are by taking longer to get to there you're not you, you know by getting to here quickly you're not going to do anything different than what you've done in these six months but in a month yeah mm. maybe i'll just jump in and um 
talk to the listeners about the difference between a reverse diet and a recovery diet and where a recovery diet might actually be appropriate. Mm -hmm. So what uh, once somebody has competed, they need to recover from all of the negative adaptations that they're experiencing, like the extreme fatigue, the hunger, the loss of menstrual cycle, things like that. They want to recover from that, which is why George is suggesting going pretty much straight back up to maintenance. Um, and yes, some body fat will be maintained. A recover, sorry, a reverse diet might be appropriate for somebody who has gone from overweight to a healthy body fat percentage. You know, they were in a deficit that whole time. And now they're moving to a weight maintenance phase, which is very different from getting on a bodybuilding stage. Um, they might go from a deficit and they might reverse their calories up slowly to reduce the risk of fat gain when they uh, while they find their new maintenance. Would you define it any differently? No, yeah, that's exactly right. The caveat being is that the post-comp phase individual is still negatively being impacted by their body fat and their diet. Yeah. Whereas the person who's gone yep. through the fat loss phase to now sustain it arguably could be in a somewhat healthier state physiologically for some things. It's just that they're trying to manage the hunger and the other things that are slightly off because they've dieted moderately relative to a contest prep. Yeah. So somebody getting on a yep. body stage, the goal was never to look like that forever, right? They, they're quite unhealthy. They're extremely lean. Their life is really restricted. The goal is to win a trophy, look good for one day, and then get back to health. Mm. Very different set of circumstances. Yeah. Yeah, I should have, I should have um, well, I did, I said, you know, for contest prep people, yeah. a reverse diet should never be applicable. But there, there is efficacy for it elsewhere when you're not pushing yourself to the extremes of, of negative health effects that we would in a contest prep setting, 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. And for, for girls that are suffering from amenorrhea or other forms of menorrhea issues, uh, post-comp, is that your primary sort of focus for most of them? It's about re-establishing healthier body fat levels or is it about re-establishing calories, uh, calorie position or what do you think are the most important factors for them to consider here? I think firstly, from a, the, the first port call would be to returning their hormones back to their, their relative homeostatic balance. Outside of that, you could then look at, right, let's get you back to a comfortable position within your caloric intake because then you're going to have more freedom to be able to macro track more efficiently and have some degree of normality back in back in your life post comp um so yeah 100 calories is something that you should consider getting back into as as high a state as is efficient in regard to where you're at compositionally 100 yeah this is the other thing too with the recovery diet this doesn't necessarily mean that you should be eating an excessive amount of calories to regain body fat because you mentioned before, this is the high propensity to gain fat in the post comp phase even more so for yeah. women is that an uncontrolled overfeeding phase potentially runs the risk of creating new types of fat cells? Yes, yeah. So collateral fattening is definitely a risk. The flip side of it, um, recruiting new, the, the body goes through that process of uh, not really knowing where to store this insane amount of fat that it's now got to store and thus it can't fill up the fat cells you already have, so it will create new ones. Um, and fat cells are not something we lose in a deficit. It's not that you go into a caloric deficit and fat cells get removed. They stay, they just get smaller. So collateral fattening or the, the production of new adipose tissue is not something we want to be running into. Mm. There's, a yeah. there's a fine margin for error with the recovery. From a caloric standpoint, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. But um, I mean, this would be very different to a male doing a recovery diet, would it? Uh, Men, men can get away with a lot more than females. It not, there are still instances um, where males 
particularly would shut off to the same degree as a female in terms of their hormone production. It's not, it's not impossible. It's not unheard of, but a general, a general um, overview of it is that we don't necessarily completely shut off unless you are actual stage lean, which not many people do get in, uh, in the, in the early years of competing. Um, and especially not uh, some natural competitions, some natural competitors do get to that point, but um, males, we tend to restart, our HPTA a lot quicker and a lot more efficiently than females would. And again, like I said, the chances of us actually getting to that point in comparison to a female, like I said, uh, Zoe was two weeks into a deficit and hers went. Males will, you know, that that could be said for females as well. I, I hate to generalize so much because it's, it's such a, an individual concept. Some, there are females that I know that have a menstrual bleed literally the week before peak week, that they're still optimally functioning. So it's not, uh, this is the case. It's very, very individual and you have to understand yourself and your body and, and manage it accordingly. Again, another reason why you need a coach to keep an eye on things and track every aspect of your life during that time. Um, mm. But again, men, it, we don't seem to have such a negative response or as aggressive response to going into a calorie deficit. Yeah, I find that individual variation or variability between females and the menstrual cycle so interesting because the same, I had some girls that would lose it within like six weeks of dieting and I'm like, you're still on a lot of food, you know, um, and they would take every time, they wouldn't return it until they basically got back to within 5% of their previous stage weight. It was yeah, like yeah. So every time we tried to slow it up a little bit because she wanted to sit a little bit leaner this time because she'd got a pro card and thought I need to adhere to a certain look and it was like, it's been two months, I'm sorry, you know, time to eat some food. Um, yep. and then there's other girls. Yeah, man. Like I've heard of girls that are on sub a thousand calories at 45 kilos peeled and still functioning perfectly normal. Mm. This is the, this is what the women are, are highly resistant, but very resilient. <laughs> I refer to them a lot. Like it blows my mind that they're resistant to a lot of things in regards to fat loss and changes the ease of it and all that sort of stuff. But the resilience, if you just beat the shit out of them, is far greater than a man. Like, if you can give yes. them the same amount of training volume as you can give a female, ask them to eat in the same level of a deficit, ask them to do the same amount of output, and also do everything else they need to do in a day, they will whinge and cry and moan. And then the girls just are like, yep, no worries. Like, it is what it is. They get it done. If you looked at, like, extreme starvation of a female compared to a male, which ultimately a part of what contest prep is, is taking it to that extreme. Um, you can, you can draw it back to that, that original statement of the, you know, the caveman in the cave, the female's ability to put up with the starvation is a lot higher because of the, the caveat that they have another life to look after their ability to take the shit is a lot higher when you look at it from back at that perspective. Whereas the man is you, you got yourself to worry about. Well, there some interesting studies on pain thresholds showing that, um, women that have given birth have like a 50% higher pain threshold or something like that? Yeah, it's uh, pain on a, on a gender basis seems to be somewhat the same up until yeah. the point that a female has given birth, whereby their pain threshold is exponentially larger than a mouse. Yeah. Super, super interesting. Yeah. yeah. So basically where the superior gender is what this is, the, the conclusion of this podcast. From a pain perspective, yes. <laughs> From from a from, a, from an everything else perspective, I lose metabolic. Perspective, I have not, not hit the jackpot. Also, you've just got one job to do. Okay. <laughs> Shut up, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even want to. 
Do your own admin. <laughs> One job in life, ten jobs in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, far out. Um, all right, cool, cool. So would you say that uh, a general statement would be, do you think this is true, coaching men is easier? More predictable. I don't know if easy is the right statement. Okay. I'll, I'll come qualify, that, qualify that answer. Because I think I agree. Do you? Yeah. Predictable is, and I know how a male is going to respond from month to month if they do X, Y, and Z. But I often find that the ego clash from a man a man to a man gets in the way sometimes that they do tend to think they know better. I don't know if that's a general conception. Maybe we're all like that, but um, that that's where I find the difficulty with men. It's not in um, what should be happening X, Y, and Z if I do A, B, and C. It's their ability to do what i've asked when, when the female gets diet plan through they get instructions of you know the approach for the next six to eight weeks no issues ticking off the boxes most of the time males i tend to see anecdotally give me more ah this went wrong ah, this happened ah, i did this this day because i kind of wanted to do this and okay you pay me for a job yeah. mm. what do you think i would tend to agree for the majority of the time yeah, yeah. i um my experience with female competitors that are for sure biased to my style of coaching. So we've got to appreciate here the female competitors that are coming to me, coming to somebody who's yeah, very like education dominant in their approach, I guess you could say, not very bro. Like they're interested in your opinion. They're interested in the nuance. They are just very much a, hey, yep, thanks, boss. No worries. Lock and load, you know. Um, I can do more work if you want me to do more work, you know. Uh, I don't need the refeed if you don't want to give it to me, like that kind of stuff. Uh, whereas the men are more inclined to be like, it's been five days of dieting. Like, don't suppose I'm going to get a refeed because, you know, all that negative adaptation that's happening. And I'm like, oh, God. Yes. You know? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, men are far more predictable in that I can pretty much lay out a plan and that plan can almost go to the T the whole time if the person just executes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. We don't, we don't have that uh, um, thing lingering in the background that makes us uh, inconsistent and change every month, sadly. The major difference I think I find, though, and this is probably a moral issue of my own, is that I find it easier to push a male to the limits knowing that his return to baseline or the fact that they're using exogenous hormones is going to offset some of those adaptations uh, a lot easier, whereas a female, when I'm like, oh, I really don't want to have to push you here, but you have to because you have this extreme goal, I have a harder time doing that as the coach. Uh, purely because I know of the detriment to that individual. But then I also know I can fix it pretty quickly. So, like... 100% agreed. Knowing that you can redeem that, that that situation definitely helps. One thing I notice is whereabouts along that journey they lose their menstrual cycle also has an effect on how I feel. Because the longer they're in that state of little to no hormones, I know that there is, there's potential damage being done that could be long-term here. The longer we're in this state, the worse it is. So if they was... 12 weeks out and it went that's going to linger in the back of my head the whole way through this natural prep mm, okay we need to get you done out of this as quick as possible whereas if they lose it two weeks out you know that's two weeks of damage and then we can get back into recovery and i think from a ethical standpoint it sits a little easier a part of the reason why i enjoy working with enhanced females as well is that and i, I mean it's not so 
big discussion we'd like us to go into. We'd be here for about three hours. Um, but that, that ground basis that, yeah, if you're a repetitive competitor, maybe HRT, not super physiological, but maybe HRT is technically the safer approach if you're going to be competing for five, ten years every single year like most females do. Mm. Yeah, that's a podcast for another time, sure. Perhaps. But if it doesn't feel any better as a female who has lost her cycle because I've been too lean at points in time, I love it. Well, I was going to say, right, here's the caveat. I love not getting my period. This is, there are some girls that chase not getting it because <laughs> they know it makes the prep easier. Um, because I like because when you have your period, you have like these huge peaks in hunger and these huge crashes in energy. And um, it just makes like ticking the daily tasks so much harder with those hormonal fluctuations. So when I get too lean and I start getting my period, like I know it's not the healthiest thing. Um, it's not for long periods of time, you know, like I might be doing a photo shoot or something like that, but it does make things easier. Yeah. I, um, I you, you took the words out of my mouth, George, and that it was, if I had a female that lost her cycle very early on, the discussion is going to go pretty much as the as follows. Like this is not ideal, but this seems to be your genetically unique response. We have to have a conversation about how fast we get you out of this because total exposure time to no menstrual cycle is my biggest concern. Right. So I'm not willing to spend 10, 10 weeks post-comp getting it back, you know. And then I'm like, but this is an advantage to us somewhat in that it's going to make this prep a little bit more predictable. So let's just bury in on that and take the wins, knowing X afterwards, right? And then it's the other individuals that they, they don't lose it. It's like, cool, we can probably play a little bit of a safer route out or safer, a slower route out should you choose to. And you have a little bit more like malleability to your approach post-comp, Um but the, the, the take there for girls is that if you are losing it early and that discussion is not being had or not even being tracked, then you should probably um, ask more questions with your coach. Yeah, definitely. I'd, I, I've had females come to me before from prior coaches, not uh, not for competitive purposes, but even gen pop. And they, and they uh, I say to them, you know, have you got a, an app you track your menstrual cycle on or, or is it something that we can just put in place physically so that I have an area on the checking sheet so you can, you can tick it off and say when it starts, etc., when bleeding finishes, just so that we can track it. And they look at me really funny on the consultation and they're like, why do you need to know this? Why didn't your previous coach explain this? Yeah. <laughs> that should be something you're quite familiar with. Obviously, if you've never been coached before, then you're going to have to have the conversation about, you know, we do need to know this stuff that is quite personal to you. But yeah, I can't see how coaches don't track it. On that's an interesting question for you. Before I mention that you can get this like nocebo effect of a man who believes that testosterone is going to make him rage, he takes it, therefore he rages within two days, right? Have you ever found discussing the menstrual cycle with an individual who otherwise never really paid attention to it has heightened their expectations of fluctuation, changes, hunger, fatigue? Like, has it changed how they've been coached? If we go into detail about the symptoms they may be you know if we really dive into the menstrual cycle then yes i 100 percent notice that they come to me and go oh hey i think it's this, i think it's this point right here with my cycle it's like yeah well you don't really know unless you're tracking it with some scientific machine that you're logged up to um but yeah 100 100 is that placebo effect i guess in the background they notice their hunger signal in there a lot more they notice they're more tired particularly when they're coming into that uh, pms area at the end of the cycle um yeah, 100%. 100% agree. Have you ever noticed that? Well, I, I suppose mean, you're quite aware anyway. Watch for yourself, but for other people. For my clients, I, I ask them to, you know, tell me when it starts and finishes. 
Do you don't delve into expectations or anything? Not really. No. I think I think actually from a coach's perspective, for a coach who's listening, this is a bit of a learning curve. I think this is like uh, one of those classic cases of if you know, you think other people are interested in knowing sometimes, and you can overcoach yeah. and overeducate to the point that it either makes them confused or it makes them seek trying to find problems. Yeah. So like I've done in the past where I'm like, hey, I want to track your menstrual cycle for the following reasons. And then all yep. of those reasons just start magically appearing out of nowhere. Yeah. Whereas if I just say, hey, here's my sheet, put a number one in there when it's day one and then color code it for the days of bleeds, yeah? Yeah. And they're like, okay. Mm-hmm. And then nothing comes of it, you know? And then I just look at the subjective feedback and line it up and go, oh, these are some interesting traits. Well, this is similar to like if a client is starting an aggressive cut, I might not want to say, hey, what you might expect is extreme hunger. You might be tired all the time. Your food-seeking behaviors might go up. You might be mentally preoccupied with food all the time because they'll be like, oh, really? Is that what I'll experience? Okay. And it could make the cut much harder. Whereas if I was to say, hey, on Monday, we're going to start the cut. It's going to be two weeks. You're a hard worker. You've got this. Go. They, they might not even notice all of those things that I mentioned. Mm. You know, and then maybe if they come with me with I don't want to say complaints, but with symptoms like, hey, Liz, this is what I'm experiencing, then you could say, oh, that's actually really normal, you know, whatever. Yeah. But you don't want to set someone up to look for those things. Have done that, though. What? Set someone up. Backfire on me bad. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. 100%. <laughs> it's, it's the, have it when you, when you do like a, a one-off consult call for a specific purpose. It's great. You can dive into it. You can really let your brain go. Uh, start talking about the X's and O's because the client who's on that call wants to know this information. But when you're doing just a normal coaching call, it's being able to turn that brain off for a minute and say, right, what does this person actually need to know? What do they want to know? What are they asking me for here? And not trying to like, say, over, just overwhelm them with all this knowledge and mm. things that, again, are going to lead to uh, placebo effect later on. Yeah. Well, that's the beauty of coaching. Like the client just inputs the data and then you do all the understanding and computing. Yeah. Um, on that point... George, you're obviously available for coaching. Um, where we've hired you as a comp prep coach, but of course there's some space for gen pop, but mm-hmm. for the majority it's comp prep um, clients. And you're also available for once-off consultation calls. If somebody yes. wants to talk about all things physique, training, nutrition, PEDS. Yep, more that. Yeah, exactly. And we hope Just to get that- on the podcast again. Yeah, go on. I did, I did, I've made a big focus on the performance enhancement side of things here, but I do have just as, as uh, a passion for new train, uh, training and nutrition as well. <laughs> I'm not just going to, I'm not just the drug guy, just to clarify that. Mm. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We um, can see that the bodybuilding space is a growing space and we want to play a part in making sure that people stay as safe as possible. And one way that we can do that is by taking on awesome people like yourself that um, that really contribute to making sure people don't kill themselves. Yeah, the contest prep space still needs a lot more evidence-informed coaches like yourself, um, us at Flex, and, and the crew that we all associate with. You know, like, oh, actually, um, how funny is that? I'm wearing the Physique Collective shirt today, which is Joe's crew. Um, <laughs> I literally I took the hoodie off before we started the call. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm wearing a flexi shirt. Flex shirt. Represent. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's refreshing to have more. Um, it was a difficulty of us to try and find someone we thought was suitable. I think anybody who's listening to this can know that flex doesn't take on people that we don't trust can do as good of a job, if not better than what we do ourselves. Um, so we've got a lot of trust, a lot of faith and a lot of um, 
excitement associated with bringing you on board, mate. So um, I'm really keen to, to see clients flourish under your, your guidance. You know, that's actually the reason we didn't put out an application for coaches for this position that we've been looking for someone for a while. We just had no confidence that anyone was out there that could cover training, nutrition, client relationships, PEDS, could be a team player. We just sort of threw our hands up. And um, but then George, yeah. this strange-shaped person that fit the strange-shaped hole. You know what it was, though? <laughs> it's because he started following my core recipe, and I thought, the guy knows. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had your. I, put, I did your egg whites, uh, egg whites cream and rice the other day. Texture, twelve out of ten. Yeah, see. So, if anyone wants cream of rice recipes on Dean's personal Instagram on his highlights, yeah. you can ask that many times to save it as a highlight. I personally can't be bothered spending that long cooking a, a meal. Um, <laughs> but look, if you've got nothing better to do, the quick method's great. But if you really want to get yeah, borrow in and get like a. For anyone that's had a Japanese cheesecake, a Japanese cheesecake consistency core with egg whites. You're really talking to the minority of listeners here. I don't think anyone listening has had a Japanese if, cheesecake. If, if anyone's listening hasn't had a Japanese cheesecake, save up a couple thousand dollars, go to Japan, get the cheesecake. It's worth it. <laughs> Such an idiot. I don't think anyone's doing that. Uh, <laughs> don't do it if you want a cheesecake, though, because it's nothing like it's a cheesecake. It's not like a cheesecake. <laughs> George, I'm going to ask you some wrap-up questions. Are you ready? No, but yes. you got to be. I've heard, I've heard some of these ones before. Did you hear the one I asked Joe, the would you rather I asked Joe? No, I actually, I got halfway through the episode with Joe. I was I got halfway through that one. That's the one I'm on at the moment. And you got bored and then left? Because of Joe, though. Uh, it's Joe. I hear, I listen to Joe's voice all the time. It, <laughs> I do my day now. Um, we start the wrap-up questions with a be less shit tip. When we remember, George, yes, we true. start with a be less shit tip. When we're being less shit. When we're being less shit. If you had to leave the listeners with one tip on how they could be less shit, what might that be? Specific to maybe what? Gender differences and fat loss? Sure. Sex differences, so. Well, no, it could be like all Greg Knuckles. Remember Greg Knuckles' be less shit tip? It was... um call your grandparents because old people are really lonely. I was like, what does that have to yes. do with anything? I think you just misunderstood. Anyways, but whatever. It really <laughs> definitely makes you less shit, 100%. Um, time. My, my be less shit tip is time. Do not underestimate how long it will take for you to make substantial change within your physique, whether you're male, female alike. Be ready to invest... 30 40 50 weeks maybe even a year um of your time to getting in good shape consistently and slowly with the right approach don't think these six week rapid fat loss programs are going to work because in the event that you are in that other 50 percent and you are a female it could come with some negatives mm. but if you do want to purchase our six week no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is george 20 <laughs> we also have a different <laughs> i love yeah. it okay um, do you have something worth sharing, George? I think on the topic of, well, for, for females, I think there's not enough digestible knowledge out there for females without overcomplicating things. And I think probably one of the pioneers for making it a little bit easier to understand would be Lyle McDonald and his woman's book, Volume 1. I think that is probably not necessarily a beginner's place to start, 
But if you are interested in understanding your own body a little bit better and some of the processes that are going to happen, I think that is a good place to start. He has tried to, you can't, you can't oversimplify science to the degree that it becomes wrong. Um, but I think he's done a very, very good job there. Mm. He's also done a good job at having a lot of spelling errors and typos. In the book. That's so bad, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a couple of times I read, I have to reread the sentence three times. I'm, did that? Are you sure? I, am I, am I dumb or is this not been edited? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the first 10 pages, I was like, he's just got that, like the book is thick. It's small text and it's like A4 size, right? It's There's a lot. It's also pink, Yeah, girls. Again, yeah. you said you've got to take Lyle with a bit of a grain of salt. <laughs> but did you see how he marketed the book? He got like, I don't know, hundreds of dollars worth of pads and tampons. Yeah, that's right. He lay down on the ground in front of the pads and tampons, like paint me one of your French girls. And that was his like banner image to promote the book. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. He's also, it was also, I remember him asking somebody for advice on like a graphic designer or something. He's like, I'm going to make the book pink and this is what it's going to look like. Or he asked for a text and then someone just said, I don't think you should make it pink for the, and he's just like, listen here, fucked hard. I didn't ask you for your opinion on what it looks like. I asked you for your opinion on this. And I was like, oh shit. That's what I was like, a real douchebag, but smart guy. <laughs> Great. If you, if you ever put anything into his Facebook group, be very cautious to be criticized in a very aggressive manner. I will yeah. never he, come on that group. Nope, never. I won't. I'm, I'm a spectator. I'm there to watch and learn. <laughs> I'm, I'm terrified of Lyle, actually. Does have yeah. two very good pitfalls, though. Mm. No excuse for being a dickhead, though. No. Um, <laughs> would you rather? Are you ready for your would you rather? Real. Oh, God. Would you rather have a period yourself every month for the rest of your life and all the symptoms and fluctuations that come with it? For the rest of your life, okay. Well, okay, no, up until the point that you actually hit menopause. Mm-hmm. Say, do I, do I hear that? Menopause. All right, so you have to do <laughs> that. Or get another job and never be able to coach people again. That's tough. Do I have, do, do I have to listen to people cry about eating pizza midweek? <laughs> What yeah, a stuff. Probably, um, I mean, if you're a pizza delivery boy, probably not. They might be like, I love eating pizza. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'll take, I'll take the periods and carry on coaching. At least that way, if I eat a tub of ice cream and cry like I do most weekends anyway, <laughs> it's acceptable I'm having a period. The cry, the cry or the, the cry or the ice cream? Both. Both. Well, he's like, well, I am watching something sad. That's why I'm eating ice cream. I watch rom-com. Joe, Joe doesn't believe in a rumor deck, so, uh, you know, I can't help it anyway. <laughs> Do you cry in movies, uh, George? No, it depends. If it's about an animal, I, I, human beings, I am really, really quite unemotional in regard to, but when it's a, an animal, I do get quite, I will cry. If there's anything sad, like, um, like Marley and me, like that, that's me done. <laughs> I, may have, I may have picked somebody who's a bit too similar to me. That's true. <laughs> People, fuck them. I don't actually think you're that empathetic to animals, though, because we've been watching a lot of um, oh, depends, Anthony yeah. Bourdain's, what is it, Parts Unknown, his travel documentary series, and there's a lot of Slaughter. slaughtering of animals, um, like eating things while their heart's still beating and, like, chopping. Just, like, a whole and, – and then I'll, I'll, I can't watch it. I literally have to turn it off and walk away, and Dean's like, no, you just – Watching, well, I don't think you're that empathetic to animals. 
Yeah, but Marley and Me's like a sad story about a family dog died. But we're talking generally. That was one example. But we're talking about movies. Okay, all right. So apparently it doesn't count so that emo- Dean has no feelings no, towards no, no, animals because no. it's not a made-up <laughs> Emotionally driven storylines will get me on animals. Okay. But when it's like a part of the culture where those people have done that for all of their life, I just look at it for whatever it, what it is. Okay. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, it's probably more, it's probably more sustainable than what we do with mass production. Yeah. Sure. But it doesn't make me less empathetic to the animals because it's better to the environment. Yeah, like Liz is, would, would, would... I'd probably have a panic attack if you made me sit there and watch it. No, but even if you stood on a, an ant or a cockroach, you're like, oh! Yeah. You know. They don't deserve to die just because I'm a big floppy human that can't control my feet. Floppy human. <laughs> Boneless floppy human. You know? Oh, so he's I to... until he hits 40 to 50 and... And then he, gets, then he gets menopause. Mm. Um, all right. Well, you survived your first episode. Uh, it was really fun talking to you. Thank you very much, guys. appreciate it. This is uh, quite a high-level high playing field for me because most of the people I've looked up to over the last five years of me getting into coaching have all been on this podcast. So um, it is quite, it's quite a big thing for me, to be fair. I was uh, sat here nervously sweating before I come on. Like, <laughs> Ends the tank top. Ends the tank top. Um, well, it's so great to have you on the team, George, and I look forward to seeing the quality of clients that you bring on stage and working with you for, don't know, however many years there are to come. Until um, the Yeah, yes. I suppose so. <laughs> All right, guys, if you liked the episode, uh, please, what's it called, rate us? No, yeah, you can give us five stars on Apple iTunes. Five star rating, yeah. thumbs up on YouTube. Subscribe to our channel, screenshot and tag us. On IG, yep. Yeah. And we're uh, a team. We're doing this right now. <laughs> we suck at this part, can you tell? But you will see George uh, announced as the new coach on the Flex Success page today, the end of March 2022, which is when this podcast is being released. Right. That really confused me because I'm like, it's not the day it is. No. <laughs> the day yeah. that this gets released, it will be the end of March <laughs> 2022. <laughs> All right, everyone, I'll see you in the next episode. Cheers.